Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Cashew Podcast. In today's episode, I chat with Sherry Goodwin of Red Lake Nation here in Minnesota. Sherry shares with us a little history about Red Lake, and she also shares how their nation has responded and navigated the pandemic so far. Sherry also discusses some of the practice changes and ways her child welfare team continue to support children and families during the pandemic. We recorded this episode some weeks back now, so some things may have shifted as we all continue to navigate the day-to-day changes related to the pandemic. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Be well. Thank you everyone for tuning into the Cashew Podcast today. I am chatting with Sherry Goodwin of Red Lake Nation. Sherry, could you introduce yourself and share a little bit more about who you are? Good afternoon, everybody. Good day. My name is Sherry Goodwin. I'm a Red Lake Nation band member. I've been working for Red Lake Nation since 1991. I actually started out at um, Jardine Purpich Extended Care Center here in Red Lake, Minnesota, working with um, Native American elders. I took this position here in 2015 as the Executive Director of Family and Children's Services. We recently just had a tribal resolution this past Tuesday with a name change, and our name change is to, uh, changing to Obimendwa Gidana Wei Magani No Doug, which basically means uplifting our relatives. So we're putting a whole new face on the um, face of child welfare. Um, we're really excited to be going through this transformational change and redoing our policy and procedures to be more culturally relevant and more fitting the needs of our community. Because previously, this agency was based on a dominant society county model. So when I started, you know, we started that transformation. So um, today, here we are, 2020. We walked into this pandemic in March. Um, so we've had, I know Karina is going to lead me on some questions, but I just wanted to say with us team building, getting ready these past four years, we just really um, flourishing right now in the services we provide for our um, relatives in the community. Wonderful. And miigwech for introducing yourself and sharing our Ojibwe Moen, our, our language with listeners. And so let's start with just how are you doing and how are you managing and, and taking care in pandemic life so far? So for me personally, I feel I'm managing pretty well. And um, one of the reasons is right I'm middle age. I don't have no little kids. All my children are grown up and moved out of the home. I'm very professional. I've been practicing the safe guideline practices, you know, utilizing the mask when I'm out in the community, you know, all the guidelines put out by the CDC and the state of Minnesota. Um, I do commute. So my self-care is when I drive, I listen to the music and just relax. And as the leader here, as the director, you know, I have to be the transformational person and set that higher level and really motivate the staff and to not be scared of this pandemic. But it is new to um, me and to everybody here within the nation. And for folks who are listening and may not know much or anything at all about Red Lake Nation, do you, could you share a little bit with our listeners about Red Lake Nation, you know, maybe where you are located and any additional information you want to want folks to know? 
Yes, I can. So Red Lake Nation is a federally recognized tribe. There's actually 573 federally recognized tribes in the whole United States. We're one of two that is considered a closed reservation, um, Red Lake Nation and Warm Springs, Oregon. And the reason we're considered a closed reservation is because all of our land is ha held in common by all the um, band members. We cover approximately 100,000 square miles across nine counties, the largest area in Beltrami and Clearwater County. Um, so what that means is all the land is held in common. We're not like other tribal nations within the state of Minnesota. We don't have checkerboard, so we have a closed status. Um, we're exempt of public law 280. We have our own court system, which of course does civil and criminal. Yeah, so that's us, Red Lake Nation. We have four communities. We have Red Lake, Red Bee, and Little Rock. We have approximately 12,000 band members right now with the majority of the of them living on the homeland. We do have 20% of them are um, about 1,200 of them are elders and we consider elders the age of 55 or older. And we also have about 1,200 that are persons with vulnerabilities. So it's really unique. And the goal for us here is um, working towards promoting government to government relations. We want to enhance tribal service infrastructure and we want to increase um, access to much needed um, services and, of course, addressing disparities. We also have on our tribal council two reps from each district. So two from Little Rock, two from Red Lake, two from Red Bee, and two from Panema. We have a tribal chairman, Chairman Siki, um, Treasurer Johnson, and a Secretary Strong. We also have hereditary chiefs. There's seven of them that sit at the tribal council at all our meetings, which they preside and advise and guide. Um, and they're, they came from the original chiefs back in 1889 that didn't, that signed the treaty that keeps us, um, helps us to be a closed reservation. So I'm really proud to be a Red Lake Nation band member. We are unique in that way. And then um, the dominant society here is um, our own Red Lake Nation band members. And one thing I would add is just how beautiful your lands are and, and how beautiful that big lake is with upper and, and lower Red Lake. Yep. So I like to say, right, we're all Anishinaabe. Um, this is who we are. We're, we value the water. We respect the water and the land. Um, so that's one of the things that we're going to be utilizing in the future here is um, our culture and the um, services we provide to our families in, on the homelands. Can you share a little bit uh, about some of the ways Red Lake as a nation has responded to COVID-19 so far? And, and again, just thinking of sovereignty and governance, like if there are any big, you know, I don't know if you all have closed your borders or restricted traffic in and out or just the ways you are all protecting your community right now. So what we've did here, Red Lake Nation, is when this first started, we created a COVID-19 response team, which, of course, was with the government. And then we worked with other systems within the nation. For instance, the school system, Indian Health Service, Comprehensive Health, Oshki Majatada. And we met right away. I think that was like the Sunday, right, in the very beginning in March when this all came about. So then we start brainstorming, right, how are we going to protect our members, what are we going to do to ensure safety. And then that was, of course, to meeting with the schools because that's when Governor Waltz decided Decided, you know, they're shutting down the schools. How are we going to actively work together to ensure that the children still receive the meals from the schools, ensure they still need the services that are needed to be provided? So then what we did is we um, move forward, build relationships. We are fortunate here um, within the agency I oversee that we have a strong mental health team. So we provide much needed children's therapeutic support services. Um, so we kept that relationship going. We ran some numbers. We Since COVID-19 started, 
on May or March 13th, about approximately, we still continue to provide services for their children. I um, When I looked yesterday, it was like 434 services. Like to me, that's a big deal. And Chairman Siki has like three phases that we're we're in here. And right now we're in the third phase, which is, which is medical martial law. So our borders are closed. We have, um, I think, six borders where we have border patrol. And you pull in and you either got to show your essential bad pass and or your Red Lake Nation band member um, enrollment card to get into the borders. So for me, for as the director of this agency, I have um, essential um, passes for our staff. But we're really fortunate here that we have a strong information technology department because I do network with other tribal nations and all the staff here have laptops, they have cell phones, they have hotspots. So, of course, we've been doing a lot of Zooms and we've been doing a lot of um, meetings and networking. And another thing that um, maybe the listeners should be aware of is that we are a initiative tribe. So Red Lake Nation and Mille Lacs Nation are currently in the process of being initiative tribes, which basically means that um, we'll be releasing Beltrami County from its financial responsibilities. And Red Lake Nation will be doing the financial and the legal aspect of child welfare services. So that's a big deal that that we are ready. And I wanted to say, too, it's a lot of teamwork. I have a great staff. So we started out by creating some guidance documents for our staff. You know, we talked about where the COVID-19 came from, how it's affecting us, you know, the outbreak of the respiratory disease. So what we did is we created guidance documents for all our staff that we um, email out to them. And then, of course, the program managers meet with them and talk about these guidance documents. And then we wrote a letter, um, Chairman Siki signed to Commissioner. Harpstead, who was in charge of DHS, asking for various waivers for the tribal nations. For instance, if the counties get to have CWTCM, you know, via video, via phone, we nations want to do that too. So just a few weeks ago, the feds then approved that the nations in Minnesota could do them waivers also. So one of the fun stories I have, what we and we did get a children's mental health respite grant. So what we've been doing is buying phones and phone cars for the um, children in the community. And then with that children's mental health respite grant, we've been buying toolkits for them. So for instance, the toolkit could be a frisbee, could be a basketball hoop, could be a trampoline, which I am against, but, you know, one family really advocated for that because they are bored. They are at home, right? We are in a medical martial um, law shutdown. So it was how can we then ensure that, that the children are st- still meeting like the Maslow's needs, right? That they're still engaged with the family. So we talk about as professionals, our toolkit. So we came up with the creative ideas to give the um, families toolkits. And for some of the families, it's even been maybe we have to drop off the phone at the front door while they're doing some kind of televideo and either with the child welfare or the mental health. So it's been really, really working well. And then, too, with um, I know for the child welfare, our intakes have been down. And I'm thinking it's because, you know, there ain't no schools reporting. You know, there's different agencies that normally would report. But it's really making us really look at these reportings and how we're going to work with our families. Because, again, it was based on the dominant society. When I was a teenager way back when, you know, I wasn't getting called in. I wasn't being put in the system. So how do we then, Red Lake Nation, actively engage with our families on the front end versus that um, out-of-home placement? So we're really work- nailing that and working that out. For instance, we had a family and um, they their fridge went out during COVID-19. Oh, my God. Can you imagine all the disparities they're already going through? So the family preservation staff asked me, um, Sherry, can we buy him a fridge? It's like, yes, buy him a fridge. 
And the crazy thing was, it was the mom's birthday that day. So it was like, just like heaven to her. Um, So we have a lot of success stories. Um, We even had a call that would have been traditionally, you know, intake and moving forward with different investigations. Um, But we just went over there and, and like the good old days, right, offered a gift. Here's some food. Here's something to help you get through this. And um, everybody's big on social media up here. So the comment was on uh, social media, their uh, Facebook post was, I've never been involved with, with FCS. You know, that's what they call us, FCS. And they brought me food and they brought me gifts. So it was really positive. So we're really trying to change, since I started, trying to change the face of child welfare on Red Lake Nation. Because this was a punitive place, you know. People are scared of this place, but we're not here to be scary people. We're here to engage. We're here to help. We're here to give hope. So them are just a little bit of stories that I have. And then I wanted to share, too. Um, so for that, I think that covers, you know, what we're doing as a nation. I know the chairman just released um, ext- um kind of turn the dial back, like Governor Walsh would say, instead of 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., they now have curfew, um, 12 a.m. to 6 a.m. So, yeah, that's what we're doing to keep our um, people here. We also got a COVID-19. We've identified a couple locations where, say, you know, the pandemic does get worse and we need a place. Um, for instance, children. What if there's some children that um, are in hot-of-home placement and the providers just can't care for them no more? I have a site um, located here, a, a pod, I guess you would call it, where we have ordered, like, the negative pressure tank so if someone was positive you know they could stay there and not have to um, spread that virus to anyone else of course then we'd have different um, games different cultural activities that they could do during their stay there so we are getting ready with that and i also like to share too that we have uh, ihs mou which is the first of its kind for red lake nation and maybe for the whole united states so us um, obimindwa and indian house service created an mou with our attorneys and their attorneys and we shared our list of who we have in custody, whether it's a vulnerable adult that we have guardianship and or children that we have guardianship for. So if one of them people then um, happened to test positive for COVID-19 at Indian Health Services here on the homelands, they would notify us in, within 20 minutes so then we can engage with them. How can we help? What can we do? Do you need masks? Do you need education? Do you need a pressurized tank in your home? Do you need us to rent you a um, porta potty, right? What do you need so to ensure that this um, the COVID-19 COVID-19 virus don't spread. And today we have a, one of our public health nurses up at the Trading Post. at our local store passing out education on COVID-19, giving out masks and giving out gloves. So it's really been, it's been, a, it's been, I'm just honored and my heart is just happy that we're all coming together, working for our families in um, a culturally relevant way. We did have to look at like we have a sweat lodge every Saturday here for our families. We're not doing that right at this point. Um, but we're still trying to provide other culturally um, relevant services. For instance, we have healing bundles, which we pass out to the community. Inside that healing bundle is sweet gas, sage, a shell, and I think just them three things. And we, um, I have an officer that works with us here in the building. He took them down to the border, and the border patrol was handing them out to elders, and it came back to me, you know, and that was just cool. And when I come through the border one day, the border patrol said, hey, can you pull over? We got to talk to you. It's like, oh, shoot, what did I do? And he said, did you, did your guys' program put these together? And I said, yeah, did we do anything wrong? He said, oh, no, no, they're great. It's great. And it's like, oh, good. So that really made my harpy happy. Not harpy. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm just so, you know, like it, it makes me so proud to see our nations, um, you know, exercising their sovereignty all over the country. 
in in ways that maybe feel challenging or that other people just don't understand and but to me you know and to our people it's just so beautiful to see like this is to protect but it's also to protect other surrounding communities too so I think that is awesome and I'm glad you all as a nation are pushing through and staying strong and finding ways to take care and you know a lot of what you're talking about in the ways um as a nation and the, your governance as well as you all are as in, individual band members are kind of rallying to support each other and then the work you all are doing in child welfare with families right now is really rooted in our values right and and our teachings and then you see how those that that those roots and those values then are showing up in practice and the practice that you all and the way you're engaging with families like you said like bringing families a meal and bringing them a fridge you know like in all my years in practice to get an agency to approve buying a fridge is not easy and so like to be able to do that so quickly and know like sometimes it's that one thing that can really change the trajectory for a family and and their involvement in the child welfare system and so so I don't know if you want to share more about kind of the the values and the cultural the cultural pieces that maybe were already rooted in your work but how they're helping you navigate these changes even more so now and I should too I forgot to mention though what Chairman Siki does a um, YouTube video every night giving updates like on statistical stuff and then he also shares a quote which is big a lot of the members watch it and we do have um, a food bank prior to this we had a relationship where we were passing out food bundles to the community that's evolved quite a bit now one of my staff now that's pretty much all he's doing is helping you know we're buying um, food we got donations they're delivering meals to elders you know on weekends and and then to families in need right because we do have a high disparity in Numbers in low economic status. So I'm um, really trying to um, focus on helping the ones with a need. And also I sh- forgot to mention, but we do have a COVID-19 hotline that people can call and you press one for this, two for this. It goes right to the community coordinators so they can let the community coordinators know. So to me too, it's just been bringing the nation together and working more efficiently together instead of these um, silos, which I, I like to say the wigwams, right? We're dropping them and we're all finally working together, which is really exciting. Um, But I would like to mention what you talked about. So way back when we started, we created our own code of ethics. So it's brief, but I'm going to read it because I really believe in this. So when you're a new, if you were employed by us, we'd have you go over these code of ethics. And it's the Red Lake Ojibwe follows the greater Anishinaabe philosophy of life and living. According to this philosophy and view of the world, humans do not create or read the web, web of life. We are merely a strand in it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. As a result of this philosophy, kinship among all creation, not the mastery of our relatives, other humans, animals, plants, etc., is vital to harmonious living. At Red Lake Family and Children's Services, we will use, follow, encourage, and support the below listed Ojibwe cultural principles and values. If we follow these seven um, Ojibwe principles and values, this will lead to a more harmonious and happy life. For instance, right, we have the humility to be modest in one's actions, the Bayouin truth. We have the courage, honesty, and I'm sorry, I'm not a fluent language speaker, so I'm just kind of highlighting them. Respect, love, and wisdom. So we want each employee is expected to act with integrity, competence, diligence, respect, and in an ethical matter with the public clients, prospective clients, prospective relatives, employers, 
employees, colleagues, and other people involved. So it's just real thorough. And so that's what I expect from our staff. And even when you walk in the building, our building here, we have the values painted right on the wall so they can see them. Because to me, that's the answer is the culture, treating people with all these Anishinaabe values. And to me, that's going to drop our disparity rates. So um, just being accountable and being ethical and living within that cultural mindset to me is the um, answer to some of these disparities. And another thing I want to say to Karina is um, we, Red Lake Nation, Obimendwa, it's kind of crazy. I kind of lost track of how many masters of social workers I have, how many four-year degrees I have, and how many two-year degrees I have. It's just kind of crazy the way that I myself hold a master social work and licensed graduate social worker that we're putting that higher standard, which we all talked about in the past, right? We should be, we need a higher standard for our people in order then to complete that goal and meet that goal and then move on further. So um, I'm really proud of that because I believe knowledge is power and I believe that we can bring that knowledge back to the community to um, bring hope into the community. So it's really, really exciting. We actually have two of our staff graduating from Red Lake Nation College next week, which is big, right? The tribal college has been instrumental in creating this wave of educated people. Myself, I'm, I'm a tribal college graduate myself, so it's, it's a good day to be um, Anishinaabe. And it is so exciting to see more and more um, Native social workers. And and because we know the painful history of, of social work and, and that it's not just history, it's current. You know, there are many, there are many um, tensions and, and uh, painful moments with this, the field of social work, with what a community may think of social work and social workers. And the more we see Native folks going into this field and able to bring that important perspective to the table. And then also we see like almost like the indigenizing or decolonizing of social work and really like so many of our social work values are really like indigenous, you know, like when you really look at it, like those are kind of, you know, those are indigenous beliefs and, and values. Um, and so I, I do, I really, I see that and I see every new MSW, BSW graduate we, we have that is from our communities. You see them going off into their communities, whether urban or on on their tribal lands, and you see them making all these small and big shifts in practice and the way the system sees our families, engages with our families. And so I, that that gives me hope for long-term change, I guess. And I'm really, I'm really glad you, I, you said that. You know why? Because deceased Wasabik, Anna Gibbs, right? When I was a social work student, same thing, right? She, I had to take a family tour and everything she said to that family just mirrored, right? What we learned right out of that book of um, some of them social work theories and practices, right? It was all just right there. And it was like, like there it is, right? So that's why, again, back to the Anishinaabe values, because we, we have them. We know how to um, work with our families more efficiently. But it's exciting yeah. times. Miigwech. And so are there any um, any additional supports other than what you shared that have been helpful, whether it's to you as a team in child welfare, in the tribal child welfare, or even more broadly, you know, any I guess supports? I could share too. Right away, what we started doing, we created an Obimendwa COVID-19 response team. So right away, I have some, like about 10 of us, we start meeting every morning at 9. So we came up with some tasks. I think there was like a whole couple pages for. For instance, we wanted to identify foster parents at work and are not able to care for their foster children while they are out of school. 
how do we provide care for these children? So then we did, we have priority start date, end date, complete in notes. And then, um, so just a big task list, identify foster parents who are 60 plus foster parents as well as children and their household members with health conditions. So then we created a survey and we asked all our case managers to reach out to their families and start this survey, right? Their name, any personal health risks. Do you know about COVID-19? Do you have childcare needs? Do you have a camera? Do you need a, do you need a computer? Do you have good internet connection, right? This was right away at the end of March because we wanted to figure out how we can use technology to engage with the families because at, at that point in time, you know, we weren't getting them CDC guidelines right away, right? We didn't know that. Well, I told my staff three feet, right? Because that's what first come out. Three feet, stay away three feet. You know, then it evolved. So then we did, you know, do they need hotspots? Do they need iPads? Implement a crisis line for our services. So we did that. We have a crisis line here too. Short term, you know, are we going to do virtual visits long term how are we going to plan for visits but it's been nice with the nice weather now because um i believe governor waltz and his order right they still wanted visits so we still wanted to follow them civil court orders so we still have siblings and their parents that still want to um, see their children so what we, we have an outdoor playground now so we have some visits there and a lot of these visits are right on the homeland so then we have like the case managers would bring the parents to the providers and do the visit there so we're really continuing to engage and i my philosophy is like knock, 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 right? A parent, assist, knock on a system if you really want them to engage with you. And if we have families, moms and their dads really pushing and want see their kids, well, we're going to do everything we can to ensure that they see their children, even if that means requesting the court system right then, right, to do a, a trial home visit right away, right, because we need these children to be with their family. And that's one thing unique, too, about Red Lake Nation is that we can then, um, we don't terminate parental rights here on the nation, right? We transfer temporary legal custody to relatives and their kinship a North Star. But we've never se severed them rights because these kids, it's in their hearts to be um, with their relatives. And when they turn 18, we all know research shows where do these kids go? Right back looking for their parents. And the moral of our story here in Red Lake Nation is how do we actively engage with our parents? Because we ain't L.A. and the kids are in North L.A. and the parents are in South L.A. The kids are right across the road over there, right? So we really, really trying to um, work with the parents and the, um, making them healthy. And I didn't say it, but I do believe in intergenerational um, care, multidisciplinary team. So that's why we've, um, I, we've expanded our services now to include um, elderly waiver, vulnerable adult, you know, we're the common entry point for the tribe. And that's another thing we learned from COVID-19 is we combined both of them teams, the um, intakes for vulnerable adults and child welfare which has really been good for us, right? So where as a team, we can um, really do some good teamwork by engaging the families. So um, the response plan comes decision with courts. And we had everything on here, like how we are going to engage with all the different services in our um, 19. And, and this is going to be a funny joke, but when this first count it started, I told my um, maintenance guy, check the supplies, see what we have. Like, what do we need? And I just count the toilet paper. We had 157 rolls back then. <laughs> But that's how we <laughs> nice. That's how we thought, right? When everyone was going like it was just a joke. We knew we didn't need all the toilet paper, but but we were pretty we were pretty well stocked back then. Yeah, there was a toilet paper like shortage, so it was a real concern. <laughs> 
So then um, what we do with our care packages, oh, right? We send toilet paper out. I had my staff buy personal um, products for women, right? The sanitary napkins, all of that. Shampoo, soap, dish soap, Tide. It's just crazy what we what we're helping our families with because we we got to remember these people were in the situation before this happened. They had them needs back then. So it's again, it's building their relationship, dropping them um, wigwabs, and working together um, for our members, our future, our children, our past. And thinking, so a lot of your your practice is shifting in many ways and how you're connecting and engaging with families and, and a lot more virtually. And I'm even thinking of like your tribal, your boundaries and that from one community to another community, I don't know what the mileage is, but it could be a trek, like a distance wise to travel to for workers. And then you add in like winter and other elements. Do you see any of these kind of new practices and engaging um, with families, maybe sticking long term in, in ways that feel helpful? Obviously, you know, situation by situation is different. But just wonder if you see like, oh, this is pushing us to think differently about in- how we engage with families. No, I think that. And another thing I should have mentioned is that the tribal government then right away or probably about a month ago decided that if we we're going to have employees, we're all, we, I, I deemed us all essential employees. If we're going to have employees going out in the front end, going in the community, engaging, delivering food, dropping off phones, like talking, you know, from the steps to the car, right, with the kids, whatever they need to do, that we're going to provide, do hazard pay. So we pay hazard pay for our essential employees that need to be out in the community. Um, and then I do have um, staff pretty much in each one of the communities. So if they need to go out and engage, they're, they're there. Like in Panema, I have quite a few staff, Redby, all of the districts. So um, I think that um, we're at a good place right now. And if it does move forward, we have the families have um, the telehealth or the t- telecommunication ready. And also with the school too, the Red Lake School District's been, you know, providing that IT support. So um, my hope is that we'll we'll get a you know immunization right, but for now I don't see one coming, and we're just going to keep me keep having hope and keep moving forward and keep living by them Anishinaabe values with our our community members. Well, in speaking of hope, you know you shared a lot of great things and ways communities showing up for each other. Is there anything else or additional that is giving you hope and thinking of the coming days and weeks, months? You know, just looking into the future. For me, hope is um, today. We're here today. We're um, caring for our families. We're all working together. I see a lot of the programs working together and holding each other accountable. And hope is the um, children and the elders. Um, and I think it, I talked about hope quite a bit. I think the hope is, you know, the key to the education. You know, it's the education system, right, that we take that knowledge and bring it home. But I'm hopeful and I'm happy and I'm I'm proud of our staff and our team and our leadership we have here in Red Lake Nation that that really just lets um like my for myself right let us dream and let us move forward with what we need to do and not micromanage me and I try to do that with my staff to hold them accountable right we need to have accountability but yeah the hope the future looks bright in my eyes I used to tease right we all need some sunglasses because that's how bright our future is here in Red Lake Nation I love that. Well, and Sherry, is there anything else that you want to share that we haven't we haven't talked about yet? I think that the last thing I'd like to share is that we did do a strategic plan a few years ago, and we're living it right now. So we interviewed 120 elders, about 30 program managers, and what we did from them interviews is picked out different domains, and these are the four. Do- I'm gonna read them to you. There are four domains, and it is we believe that families prosper when they one 
are engaged in their culture and spiritual beliefs and traditions. Two, have positive relationships and connections. Three, are safe and secure. Four, receive supportive help and services. And five, are physically and mentally healthy. And if we can achieve that, that's hope. That is. That's minimum bemadizo in. That's that's good life right there. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that and sharing what I mean, sharing more with our listeners, just more about Red Lake as a nation in general. And I think your really important history, but also like what you know, how you all you know stand strong as a community, as a nation today, and then the way you continue to engage and support families in really important ways. Mamiguich, it's an honor. This podcast was brought to you by the Center for Advanced Studies in Child Welfare. This podcast was produced by Karina Berry. Our series editors were Denise Cooper and Cliff Dahlberg. Music was composed by Big Cats. And this podcast was supported in part by a grant from the Minnesota Department of Human Services, Children and Family Services Division. For more information, please visit the CASHU website at cascw.umn.edu. Thank you for listening and stay well, everyone.